Hello, and welcome to Spilling the Milk, the podcast where we talk about breastfeeding. You know, the thing that moms have been doing since the beginning of time, and yet is still not really talked about as much as it needs to be. We're here to fix that. Today, I'm speaking with Holly, a mom of three living in Delaware, and Holly and I connected in a Facebook group for one of our mutually favorite podcasts, Happier in Hollywood, with Liz Craft and Sarah Fain. And I had posted about the podcast in our group, and right away she responded that she'd love to be a guest and love to talk to me about her experience with tandem nursing, her toddler and newborn, and the work that she does supporting moms who are breastfeeding. So I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you do too. Take a listen. Holly, welcome. I know you've told me you have two boys, eight and ten, and then a little girl who's four. So take us back to the beginning of your breastfeeding journey. I am a big planner, um, and I'm also like a researcher. I've worked in early childhood my whole life and run in some pretty like hippie circles. So I went in knowing that I was going to breastfeed and knowing that I knew everything about breastfeeding and it was going to be perfect and easy. And then I had a healthy baby boy who, um, you know, latched on immediately, but it still threw me for such a loop, just being the sole source of nutrition and comfort for this new human while recovering from um, a pretty difficult labor and birth. And there's so much, you know, the exhaustion and the hormones. Um, We had a really hard time getting started just, I would say, five or six weeks my nipples were sore and cracked and bleeding. And every time I knew he was hungry, I was kind of cringe. And I never wanted to feed him on the left side. I remember when it was time for the left side, I was always like in tears. But once we got over that six week hump, it was, it just, it became so easy and so natural. We had a little bit of, um, so that was difficult. He had some stomach issues due to that, but we sort of figured out how to balance that. And, um, the letdown was really strong. So I would have to pop him off during letdown and then put him back on when it was a slower flow. Um, But once we figured that out, I knew that I wanted to keep breastfeeding as long as he wanted to. And then when he was nine months old, I found out that I was pregnant again. So I was sort of hit with the, do I stop breastfeeding this thing that's been really successful and a really good bonding thing? Or do I continue? And that's sort of how I ended up tandem nursing for several years. That is so cool. It's funny because your description of the first six weeks, like I probably could have said about exactly the same thing. Really? Yeah. I thought I was prepared and I thought we were doing good, but yeah, all the pain and all the latching and the cracked nipples. And did you do cabbage leaves? No, you know what? I never did. I kind of, I was afraid the, so the oversupply made things difficult just because I was always engorged and like they were rock hard and it was hard for him to latch onto that, but I was always afraid to mess with it too much and go in the opposite direction. Yeah. No, I think with my second, I ended up doing cabbage leaves and it was just, it was probably just those first few days when like you're saying, it's just like two rocks on your chest. Right. right. For some reason, it's like the coolness of the cabbage really like relieved the pain and somehow it also just made things deflate a tiny bit. So okay, I do recommend the cabbage leaves. Yeah. So then, so now you've still got a baby and you're pregnant. 
Right. So did you um, experience supply issues once you were pregnant or how did it go? I did. My supply dropped pretty substantially. And at that point, thankfully, my oldest loved solid foods and we did some baby led weaning and he really liked it. So I wasn't as much worried about his about input. But those, my supply started dropping, and he started dropping nursing sessions. And I, I would, I was a little emotional. I know, I don't know if you had the same experience, but when I was pregnant with my second, I and we planned it and everything, but I sort of, um, I was like, oh my gosh, I've ruined my baby's life, and I can't believe that I'm taking away from him like all my time and attention. Um, and I felt really emotional about, at, you know, adding another baby to the house. Yeah, I think you, I think you just described every mom ever who like has a second baby. Right. I think it's pretty universal. Um, which now I'm, I tell my kids all the time, the best gift I could ever give them is their siblings. That feeling I think goes away pretty quickly. But I really, so I was devastated that he was dropping nursing sessions. And then what ended up happening, his um, eye teeth came in, and he had a really hard time with those. So he then was nursing for comfort a lot more. And it was sort of, it was about the middle of my pregnancy by then. I don't think I had much of a supply at all, but we still, we were nursing a lot. And it was nice because having, by that, at that point, he was a toddler, he was moving around and it was nice to be able to, you know, have him with me on the couch and feel like I was bonding with him and giving him something, but I could be laying there half asleep. So nursing through pregnancy with a toddler was actually I found it really rewarding just because it was a way to sort of slow things down and still feel like I was giving him something. Yeah, that's right. It's like the one time they'll just slow down for a minute and come sit with you on the couch. Exactly. Exactly. It didn't happen much otherwise. And my favorite too is like, you know, they still have to get shots at like nine months, 12 months. And it's just a nice tool to have to calm them down right away with the shots. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think I ever really um, had my babies vaccinated without giving without nursing them through it. And I'm not sure that I know how to do it. And luckily I had pediatricians that were always super friendly too. They're like, stay in here as long as you want. If you want to nurse them afterwards, like, you know, just take your time. So I always felt like really supported in doing that too. That's so helpful. I think that's so helpful when moms, especially new moms don't feel like they're you know, taking up that space and when they feel supported in breastfeeding. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to know ahead of time if your pediatrician is going to be super supportive. Like with my second, he really had trouble gaining weight at the very beginning, but she never even said the word formula. She just sort of kept checking in and um, trusted me that I knew what I was doing, trusted the baby. And like eventually, you know, now he's whatever 60th percentile, six year old. But I feel like that's so rare that most times I hear that moms were like guilted into supplementing or like made to think that that was the only option. And and the doctor did not trust them to kind of get through it. Absolutely. Which I work with a lot of um, new moms and they're um, usually what we call high risk. So like low socioeconomic status or teen moms or moms who have struggled with addiction. Um, And we talk a lot about advocating for themselves and their children at the doctors and especially with breastfeeding, a lot of these moms are offered formula in the hospital. You know, people assume that they won't breastfeed or won't be successful with it. And finding care providers that are supportive of breastfeeding and not willing to just, you know, give them formula and help, it's sort of, it's help them give up, you know, Um, it's important. It's so valuable. And the confidence that these moms have when they're, when their providers show that confidence in them and let them be the mom and make those decisions. Um, it goes a long way. And how did you get involved with supporting new moms? 
So I um, do home visiting through the organization is called Parents as Teachers. There are probably about a dozen like national home visiting programs. And they're sort of the best kept secret of the early childhood world. They're federally funded for the most part. And then states have their own funding streams too, depending on the state. But they're in all 50 states and they serve. um, So our program right now only serves these families with risk factors. But they, you know, there are some programs that are available for all first time parents. And it's the most rewarding job. I actually, when my second was a toddler and I had stayed at home with my boys for a few years and I was sort of ready to re-enter the working world, I came across a listing for this job and I always say it's my dream job that I never knew existed. It's I support other parents as they're going through the same things that I went through and getting to form relationships with families from pregnancy till their children are five years old and exit our program is the most rewarding That sounds amazing. I'm just finishing the book Upstream. Have you heard about it? No. I'm trying to think of the author's name. Um, It's probably sitting behind me, but um, the book is Upstream. Oh, Dan, Dan Heath, I think is the author. And it's all about solutions that we implement upstream to prevent all the downstream problems. And to me, like the ultimate upstream is like you're saying all the early childhood intervention. It's like research shows that so many downstream negative consequences could have been prevented by, like you're saying, just supporting parents with um, with little ones and putting in the programs in place. So I'm so excited that you're sharing about this. I have never heard of it. I'm definitely going to go do more research. It's ex- exactly what you were saying. The, the outcomes from home visiting have been measured. There are all these federally um, funded studies and they measure, it's, it decreases like crime and violence in the, not just the parents that are served, but the children as they get older. It's, it has like a huge impact on school readiness, maternal mental health, maternal physical health, and just the investment of most home visiting programs give it's one or two visits monthly and huge impacts that really do pay off down the down the road. And like financially too, communities for I believe it's for every dollar invested, there's a return of seven dollars. I I'm not sure on the exact numbers, but it's major. And it really, that concept of um, the small change, the small tweaks that you can make in the beginning to prevent big problems um, later down the road. That's amazing. And like you were saying, like, not only is it like morally the right thing to do, but like economically. Yes. Yeah. No, completely. There's really no reason not to, which I think they're sort of finding out. And I know that So I'm in Delaware, um, which is a small enough state that it's pretty easy to have a pretty wide reach with programs like this. But I think they're expanding a lot because people are figuring out that this is so good for communities. And you mentioned the one thing that helps the moms that you're working with be successful is like when they do have supportive healthcare providers, what are some other things that you've seen really make an impact in terms of encouraging breastfeeding? So I will say one thing that has, um, I've been on a little bit of a soapbox lately is I know in, I'm in different like parenting Facebook groups and everything. And people will say, I'm getting ready to breastfeed. What do I need? And people say, you need the, what is it? The Haka pump, which um, is newer than any of my children, I think. Me too. I feel like I missed out on that. I know. That would have been great, especially when I had the oversupply with my first. And, you know, they say you must have a pump and you need this bottle because it's, it, you know, it's just like a nipple and you need this um, breastfeeding pillow and this breastfeeding cover and these really expensive nursing bras. And those things are great to have. And I, you know, I loved my breastfeeding pillow. I needed a pump, things like that. 
but it's, it's such a barrier for moms who can't access that. So I really, I try to tell these moms, I say, all you need is a baby and a breast. Just telling them that they, you know, you don't need all the expensive gadgets. You don't need all the books. Um, it's good. It's good to be prepared. It's important to be prepared, but, um, removing all those obstacles that make them feel like they can't do it or that it's going to be too hard. People did it without all these tools for so long. And I think that it can really be a barrier to these families when they think that there's so much that they need um, and that it would be so much easier to just formula feed. I think also WIC support is really important because WIC provide breastfeeding care counselors. They weigh baby. They have just the supports in place. And a lot of my families think that if they're not formula feeding, they don't need WIC because they don't need to, they don't need help with formula. But I found that um, having that support is really important. And then I have all my, all my postpartum, or sorry, all my prenatal moms, I have fill out a worksheet that just says, you know, when I'm having trouble with breastfeeding, I will call this person. You know, there's sometimes a lactation consultant at the hospital or a lactation consultant at the pediatrician's office. Sometimes it's their mom or their neighbor that's breastfed. Sometimes they don't know anybody who has breastfed successfully. When things get hard, I think having somebody that they can count on, it hel- it just helps to have that in place. That is so great. I'm actually, so I'm creating an online course for breastfeeding too, because I feel like that would be a really good resource. I was like, there needs to be some sort of, if this, then that, Yes, just like you're saying, because otherwise you're, you're going to be in trouble. And I even, I feel like this is still one of the barriers is I know a new mom who's struggling with breastfeeding. And I say, well, I really think you should reach out to a lactation consultant, but I don't know exactly where and how they would do that, depending on which health insurance, which hospital, exactly. what their office hours are. If you are even capable of going anywhere right now, I'm still thinking through that one. And it sounds like this is a good solution to just figure out the logistics ahead of time. And like you're saying, I, I had the misconception that WIC was not, did not support you if you weren't using formula. So that's new to me. That's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. They have a great breastfeeding peer counselor program in place where um, it's usually moms that have some breastfeeding experience um, and they're trained in supporting new moms. And it's, you know, not medically based or an IBCLC or anything, but just somebody who can sort of be like, I've been there and that six week growth spurt is horrible and you'll get through it. And I think they do have training to do some troubleshooting too. That is so cool. No, that's what I've been thinking about is that we kind of all needed a coach during those first six weeks. Exactly. And especially even nowadays, like if you could just text somebody or um, leave them a voice memo or something to like vent what you're going through and have them kind of validate you. Um, And maybe they have a suggestion or two, but part of it is really just kind of being validated. What a great idea. I love that. And so much of it is just knowing that you're not alone and struggling. (laughs) It helps a lot. And I, one of my coworkers actually, I think she just had a baby yesterday, but we were talking about how she was preparing to breastfeed and, you know, telling her about the growth spurts and how, how hard it is. And, you know, like saying, like you can, I told her to call me at any time, just because I remember being on the couch at 3am right at that six week mark crying because I was never going to get off the couch. And I think it's important that moms know that this stuff is normal and it passes. So having that kind of support is huge. No, it's even just comforting to me. Like I've nursed three kids and, um, but having you sort of share your experience and it matches up exactly with my experience with my first baby. I'm like, okay, it wasn't just me. Like this is, and if it's just, and if it's you and me, like chances are it's millions of people. 
Exactly. And those are the things people don't talk about it very much. And it's hard, you know, it's also our, your memory's kind of washed with the exhaustion and the hormones and all the stress and everything that goes with having a new baby. So I feel like people don't talk about it that much. And I've, so I actually have a document that I've created. I created for my sister-in-law when she was pregnant and I've been giving it to some of the families that I work for just about like breastfeeding in the first few days and everything. But there's a whole section on when breastfeeding sucks. And it's just, you know, the cracked nipples and the growth spurts and the lack of sleep and stuff like that. And just, I think it's important to be realistic about the challenges, especially when we're the only one that can feed baby. We want to do it right. um, And we want to feel like we're doing a good job. And when it gets hard, sometimes we can feel like we're failing. Yes. And I think when, like for me, with every new baby, I thought, oh, for sure, it's going to be much easier this time because I've already been through this. And I still, but you forget how hard the newborn part is because your last memory is nursing a toddler. You're like, oh, it's fine. Like I did it with one hand while I was folding laundry. Exactly. And then you have a newborn. You're like, no, 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 no. Remember, this is like a, you need four hands. Like you have to be in the proper position. <laughs> Exactly. I had to, with all of mine, for some reason, I had to retrain myself to do the sideline nursing. It just that when they're so little, I find it so unnatural and hard. And I literally, with my third baby, and I get like, I had years of breastfeeding under my belt at this point. And with my third baby, I remember putting her in the cradle hold and then just letting myself fall onto my side because I couldn't figure out how to position a newborn in the sideline um, position. So it's, yeah, I think every new baby sort of throws you for a loop. Yep. I will definitely agree to that. And I, and each baby's different. Like you don't know how their latch is going to be. You don't know how your body's going to respond. And with subsequent babies, you're also like trying to wrangle another child while you're nursing. Exactly. Exactly. That's where the tandem nursing, I will say, came in really handy. There are so many pictures of me, you know, nursing a toddler and a newborn and then later two toddlers, um, which is a little ridiculous looking. But it helped so much that I wasn't chasing a toddler around while nursing a newborn. And I think it helped with my oldest son's adjustment to having a baby that he could still lay with me. He could still nurse. Our relationship didn't change that much. Yeah, that's true. Right. It's a huge adjustment to not be the, you know, mom's only baby. Figuring out too how to nurse in in all the carriers and slings and everything is a lifesaver when you have older children running around. You know, it's a lot of juggling and a lot of configuring and contorting, but I found that to help a lot with my two subsequent babies. That is a good tip. I think I only su- successfully nursed while baby wearing a few times, but even just baby wearing while they're not eating. Yeah. So they can like fall asleep on you or they can just be on you and be content while you're making dinner, not too close to the stove. I've definitely done that one before. Oh no. <laughs> but you know, to have your hands free. Um, right. That's another thing I feel like I don't emphasize enough to new moms is like find a carrier that you love and use it because it will make things so much easier. It's huge. That's always my go-to gift for new moms, either a sling or an ergo carrier. Um, Just it's such a lifesaver. You know, when baby's not sleeping, it's such an easy way to get a a nap out of them. And, And for that bonding piece, I think it's important to, you know, have baby on mom. I know now that I don't have a little baby, like right. all I want is like a little one on my chest. And you just like bend right over and kiss their forehead. The best Isn't feeling. it the sweetest? Well, I think that I, I think we covered a lot. I'm definitely going to link to the resources that you suggested. And uh, I'm glad you found kind of like a way to still 
have newborns in your life. I think I feel like you're backing the system. Yes, me too. Thank you. So this was so much fun. I feel like I, um, I get so ahead of myself talking sometimes and then I'm just like, whoa, we've got to reel it in. Um, so I hope that there's usable stuff in there. For sure. You're sharing like the exact information and resources that, that I didn't know I didn't know about. So that's why this is so fun for me is like, I'm just sort of going down this path and kind of finding like-minded people who know more than I do. And if I can help share that out to people who need it, that's, that's my mission. Awesome. I love that you're doing this. I feel like, you know, it's funny. There are so many breastfeeding resources online and so many, but I haven't seen any podcasts, which is such a great way. to. I think you're thinking of everything so approachable and, you know, sort of like Liz and Sarah, like you, you can be like people's friend that knows a lot about breastfeeding. And I think that's really valuable for people. And I'm excited. I loved the two episodes that you've put up and um, I'm excited to hear what you keep putting out. I'm totally going to recommend it to the families I work with too. That makes me so happy. Thank you so much. Of course. I was so excited to learn about Holly's work with parents as teachers. I had not heard about this organization previously, and I'm really excited to dive into it and learn more. It sounds like an amazing model to support families with young children and, like we said, really prevent a lot of the downstream negative consequences that happen when families don't have that kind of support. I will absolutely link to their website in our show notes. And if you know of other similar organizations, please feel free to share that on our Facebook page at Spilling the Milk Podcast so others can view all the resources and become involved if they like. I also loved Holly's description of when she was tandem nursing her toddler and newborn. I feel like this is something that doesn't get talked about much. We just picture one mom, one little baby in their breastfeeding relationship. But honestly, what a cool way for the three of them to bond. And like we were saying, it's also a good way to just keep your toddler in one place while you are feeding your newborn. So for those who never considered this, just know that it's an option. If you are still nursing and you become pregnant, it is possible to keep nursing through your pregnancy, though you may experience some supply issues. And once the baby's born, you can continue to nurse both if that's what you want to do. And the last thing that I want to call out is Holly mentioned she was using baby-led weaning with her oldest when he was about nine months. And I will also link to that in the show notes. And just briefly, that is when you kind of skip over the baby food puree stage and give them foods that they can handle themselves. So my favorite was always like matchstick apples because it's like a it's like a stick that they can grab and kind of bite the end of it. The idea is that you let your baby lead the way. You basically present them all types of food and try to incorporate them into what the whole family is eating for their meal. And I'm not describing it super eloquently, but like I said, I'll link to the resources in case that's something that you're interested in. That's it for this episode of Spilling the Milk. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave us a review and tell a friend. That's the best way for us to grow our community and let more moms know that they're not alone. We're in this together. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast and share your story, 
please send an email to spillingthemilkpodcast at gmail.com.